Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm excited to be joined by the amazing Dr. Andrea Pennington, who, by the way, has headline expert empires twice. She's also been on Oprah twice. She's had some amazing experiences, um, international best-selling author. I'm really pleased to have you on the show, Andrea. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. As always, Nick, it is a pleasure to connect. Always, always is. So um, why don't you start off? Um, I have to go straight in. How did you get on Oprah? Let's just start there and take it away from there. Well, I happened to be working at the Discovery Health Channel as the medical director and spokesperson for the network. And at the time, this was back in 2002, three or something, uh, Luther Vandross had just had a stroke. And the late singer was very dear friends with Oprah and Patti LaBelle. And Oprah decided she wanted to have a show about diabetes, because that's what put him in the ICU. And she called uh, Discovery Health Network looking for some footage to kind of show what happens in the heart and the body. And of course, we were the only network that really did that kind of cool stuff. And they needed a physician who could talk about diabetes in the black community. And so it was like, ding, 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 perfect combination. So that's how I got there the first time. But the second time, they actually came directly to me because they, they loved the, the response they were getting from all this feedback. And they really wanted to show how we could prevent these diseases with nutrition. So they flew out to my wellness center. I got to direct all these shots. And yeah, it, I mean, you know, it was a, a career launcher in many ways. Amazing. So look, you know our audience, because you've spoken at our events on a couple of occasions. You know that the majority are coaches, consultants, speakers, trainers, authors. We're going to talk about that a lot more here. Um, they run businesses based upon their expertise, and they would love to get on Oprah or in the UK on shows like This Morning, which you've also been on, I believe. Um, essentially, they'd love to get media exposure. Now, I'm not saying that as a result of listening to what you're going to share today, that somebody's going to get on Oprah or This Morning straight away. However... I think it'd be interesting to explore what enabled you to get those opportunities that somebody else could apply the same lessons and get media exposure. Maybe somebody's listening to this and they've got a small local business and they'd really benefit from being on the local radio or in the local newspaper or on the local news broadcast or whatever. So I'm just wondering like what are some steps that people could take if they're an expert um, or they're a local business and they want to raise their profile and become more well-known through the media? Like what are some tangible steps they could take, do you think, that would help facilitate that? Sure, absolutely. Um, a lot of my authors and speakers and coaches have done these exact steps. And I'd actually love to come to Expert Empires and do like a mini workshop to walk people through this because even an unknown can get on TV, like I did. I came to the UK. I was an unknown there and got on this morning with uh, Holly and Phil. Um, so the first thing is think of it from the perspective of a media booker. So when I was the medical director for Discovery Health Channel, we would get hundreds of pitches every year for documentaries, for all these sorts of things. And so if you have to think from the mind of 
the media representative, whether that's radio or podcasting or television. We, as the, the media, we want to have good stories. So the number one thing is, how are you going to make your pitch into a story? The audience loves stories. That's what's going to keep people tuned in to the TV or radio. That's what's going to stop people from scrolling. So the, the number one thing that I use in all of my speaker training and, and author training is all about storytelling. So let's say you're a coach and you help people get results. Then tell us a story about those results. What do we love in TV land? We love before and afters. Show us a before and okay you may not be able to show us but if you have pictures great otherwise tell a story about what one of your clients was like before they came to you that means give us a, a hint of what were their pains what were their problems what was life like from the morning they wake up in the in in the morning from the moment they wake up in the morning to the moment they go to bed at night what is a day in their life like what are their struggles like in their relationship in their body in their mind in their finances with their kids with their jobs like what sort of challenges are they reaching in terms of like a ceiling are they dealing with self-sabotage like paint a picture for how that looks then you don't even have to brag about you you can say after coming through our program this is what their life was like afterward and give us tangible, imaginable results of how did their finances change? How did their health change? How did their relationships change? You can't just say, and after coming through our program, they had more success. That's, that's not a big deal. They made six figures. Who freaking cares? Yeah. Do you know how many coaches out there promise to get people to six figures? That's not enough for a media booker. So I always recommend people start with the transformation stories, those kind of before and afters. And the biggest thing that I think that people could benefit from doing this is it helps you tell about your success without sounding like a braggart. Nobody wants to be a show off. And I think that's, that's what stops a lot of coaches from talking about their success. But this is a beautiful way to think of your pitch from the standpoint of the audience and from the standpoint of the media booker. Yeah, nice. No, and it's actually, um, it's funny, the, the same thinking is relevant for speaking on stage at live events. So obviously I run a lot of live events and I hire speakers and book speakers and same thing. Like you got to think from a promoter's perspective, the amount of people that come to me and go, I want to speak on your stage. Here's what I'm going to talk about. It's going to add a lot of value to your audience. I'm like, great. But I got a list of like a hundred people that would like to do that. And that they think they would add a lot of value to the audience. So think about it from my perspective, how are you going to, add value to the audience in a different way to everybody else. And also, um, like, what's the commercial proposition for me as an event promoter as well? And how's that going to benefit? Um, because, you know, running events is not cheap, as you well know. Um, exactly. And so wait, let me just harp on that for a second. So you host live events. The more people you get to that event, the more money it makes. And of course, you want the, the public to be satisfied. It's the same thing in television, podcasting and other media. We want people to stick on our YouTube channel or listen to the podcast all the way through, especially if we're trying to monetize it. But the other thing that can, can really help people is think of the headlines, because I'm sure you get, like we get, a lot of pitches like, we have a coach we'd like to have interviewed on your show, and they can do A, B, and C. Yeah. Well, 50 other coaches can do that. So how could you change up maybe the title? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when I was on this morning in the UK, they've had a lot of authors of books. 
when I happened to write a book called The Orgasm Prescription for Women. The headline was sensational. We got to turn it into a news bite because we actually, well, ITV surveyed their audience the weekend before to find out their opinions and their experience of the big O. So think about headlines as well. What's going to make it sexy and attractive to people to come and or stay? Yeah, what I've taken from that, which I'd never really thought about before, is ultimately TV. Success in TV is viewing figures, isn't it? And so if they believe that by having you on this morning talking about orgasms, which let's face it, it's a sensational headline, it's going to attract attention, it's going to boost viewing figures. And that's all they want. They're competing with all the other news channels or all the other TV channels, and they're trying to hold attention in the same way that you are on your YouTube channel or on your podcast. You want to maximize downloads, you want to maximize listening hours, all those metrics. So it's fascinating to think about it from that perspective. Um, On storytelling, I'm curious, because you've talked about storytelling as far as case studies, success stories of clients. How much do you recommend that we use our own personal stories in this whole mix? Like, Like you say, you don't want to be all about me, 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 brag, brag, brag. And I think there is value in personal storytelling as well. So how do you strike that balance um, between being vulnerable and transparent and um, sharing things that create a feeling of empathy without crossing the line to be bragging? How do you strike that balance? The first thing is to think about authenticity and is it even relevant to your pitch or to your story? So you don't want to just tell a sob story just for empathy when it has nothing to do with what the ultimate outcome is. I think that for for people who are struggling with wondering how much to tell, you can always try this out with a friend or in your coach community, like share a short video in a private Facebook group where you start to tell your story. This is what we do in our workshops. We allow people to write a, a story, maybe it's their backstory or a turning point story, and then share it and get feedback. Because I think for me, the the biggest surprise was people actually wanted to hear that I was human. Before I used to hide behind facts and figures and statistics and my medical degree. And I didn't share what was in my heart. I didn't bother. I, I thought that people wanted this professional image. But things have changed in the last decade and certainly since the pandemic, because we now have so many people doing coaching and consulting, how do you differentiate one coach from another? If everyone's saying they can get basically the same results in your life or in your bank account, what we are looking for now, what people are craving is personal connection. Mm. So if telling your story is relevant to the product or service that you deliver and you can humanize it. So if I'm going to be spending thousands of dollars, euros or pounds to work with you, I kind of want to like working with you. And the only way I can get to know if I like you, if I have an affinity for you, is if I can hear a little more of your story. Because otherwise, I I might fall on a web page or your Facebook profile and just feel like, okay, this is slick business as usual. Where's the heart? Where's the soul? So if you're sharing from a, a, a standpoint of authenticity, it can go a long way. Now, for a lot of the people that I work with, they don't want to have to harp on their story for too long. So I highly recommend you either publish it in a book. It can be in a a group anthology like what we do at Make Your Mark Global, your own book, 
or you can do this in a TED talk or any sort of signature speech so that that is at least on your website and on your social profiles so people can dive in and get a sense for who you are. And then the rest of your stuff can be about the results that you provide. Hey, it's Nick here. We'll get back to the show in the moment. I just wanted to tell you about a brand new free training I've put together for you, all about how I went from zero to six figures, to seven figures, to multi seven figures in my business very, very quickly. So you can go and download that brand new free training at expertempires.com forward slash free training. Uh, And when you do that, you'll also be given the opportunity to book a free no obligation strategy call with one of my team so they can help you individually plot your plan to growing your business from wherever it is right now, if it's zero to get to six figures fast, or if it's already at six figures to move it to seven figures or multi seven figures as quickly as possible. So go to expertempires.com forward slash free training. Yeah, m- makes a lot of sense. Um, what's your view on not necessarily telling backstory? I think we've just covered that. More around sharing, like documenting your life on social media, for example. Like, again, I always feel like there's a a delicate balance to be struck between like the way that I I call it is like bleeding all over social media, like sharing every little thing that goes badly and every little thing that goes well. Like, what do you, where do you see the, the balance in that? Like how much do you think you should share as you, it's not like creating, uh, writing a book. It's like day to day storytelling. I guess is what I'm, what I'm asking about. For me, it always comes back to authenticity. I would never recommend to someone to document their lives or even the behind the scenes of their business if it didn't feel authentic to them. If it felt like a marketing shtick, I would say don't do it. Yeah. And and I know, you know, the the year that I first spoke at Expert Empires. You had Gary V there, and he's a big proponent proponent of documenting your, your process. Now, you just brought up the idea of bleeding out into social media. I would also refer to it as vomiting on social media. And other, and other people are just like, you know, kind of showing off on social media. So it comes back to your intention. Um, I, for example, am building a new company that creates these transformational experiences with essences. And I'm showing people, I'm going up to Grasse, which is like the perfumery of the world and selecting my own scents for these fragrances. And that's like a cool behind the scenes for people to see how do you create a line. But I'm not showing every little thing about my personal life because it's not relevant. Now, for some people, it is relevant because you might be a lifestyle brand. But if you're doing it just to show off, people are going to feel that and you're going to end up attracting the people that are into it for the bling. And if that works for your brand, so be it. But if you're more of a personal brand and you want personal connection, then just be mindful of your intentions and let that come through. Yeah. I think, I think for me, it's funny, you mentioned the bling and I go, I think what I dislike about only documenting the bling is that I know that's not the whole story. So I go, I think And I don't do this, but I think if you were going to be documenting the bling, you should counterbalance it with some reality so that it's more real and palatable and and people see 
who you really are. And that and doesn't have that doesn't have to be bleeding or vomiting. It could just be the boring, just like yeah. here's me typing up a post. It doesn't mean you have to show like, oh my god, I, I lost two clients and now I can't pay the bills. You don't necessarily have to tell all the negative. But yeah. I, I like your idea of counterbalancing it, even with something that's just neutral. Yeah, like here's what I would do. Like let's say you know you're you or I are flying over all over the world business or first class, you're documenting that stuff, it's nice. I would be the first person to, like, share a photo of me in, like, an Uber, like, which stinks and, like, it's all, like, messy and, like, you know, not luxury because I think then people go, oh, like, first of all, it's funny because you go from here to here, but also it's real. It's like, hey, I'm not living a... A-list celebrity five-star li- lifestyle every single minute of every single day. And I think that that kind of makes it more, um, it, it makes you more real and more human, right? Exactly. Um, interestingly, coming back to, uh, you mentioned Gary Vee, who uh, again spoke at the Expert Empires event that you did. Um, and of course, you know, he's a big proponent of document everything. Um, and I don't know how much you followed his stuff, but actually shares very, very little, almost none of his personal life. Right. Um, and, and so I think the other thing is it's kind of a personal choice as well to go like, should you, and I'd love to hear your thought or your position on this, should you or should you not, do you, Andrea, or do you not share things about your family life? Like, you know, I share pictures of my kids on social when they're playing football, soccer for our international listeners. Um I don't have a problem doing that, but some people do. And I'm like, I think you just got to do what's right for you. But what, where do you stand on that debate? Well, my daughter has grown up with social media and has her own following yeah. and does not want me tagging her in my posts. So but hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying that you're not the coolest. Mom I'm not cool. No, because I think you're like the coolest mom in the world. But no. that's like, but thing is, to a, how old your daughter again? 16. Yeah, so a 16-year-old girl, maybe you're not a cool mom, in the same way that I think I'm a pretty cool dad. I'm going to come out and say it. But to my 13-year-old son, eh, not so much. Yeah, yeah. So and it, cha- it changes with age. Yeah. You know, when, I, when we were traveling more when she was younger, I could take a few little airport pics, but yeah. now I simply don't. Um, I don't really share as much about my family um, except for the past. So a lot of people know that, you know, I endured a lot of adverse childhood experiences and that informs what I do. I mean, I'm also a trauma trained integrative physician. I help people heal trauma and giving them a little bit of my backstory is relevant, but in terms of, you know, my kid, I don't share my mom and dad, because my, my mother recently transitioned. That's a big part of, of the work that I help people with. So I do share, um, so yeah, I think for, for everyone, it matters only if it's relevant. So if Gary Vee were sharing everything, I'm sure he would find a way to make it relevant, but he doesn't need to. You know, he talks about his father, and of course that was a huge influence to how he got into the wine business and, and so on, but <clears throat> he doesn't need to. And so I, I, I always invite people to come back to, is this really relevant to your audience and to your product or service? Does it align with your values? Like I value, you know, integrity and and authenticity. So that's what I live by. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think the question of is it relevant is the biggest question. That's the bit that feels 
sometimes to me it feels a bit disjointed when you see what people share on social and you're like, I don't understand why you're sharing that and how it's relevant to me as an audience member or to the business that you run. And I think that's where it just sometimes there's a bit of a mismatch. Um, Let's talk books. How many books have you written? I think I've written and contributed to 18 as of today. As of today. Does that mean that if we speak tomorrow, it might be a different number? Well, (laughs) as of October, yes, I have a couple of new books coming out. So, yes. Amazing. Um, what's been the, um, like the, of the 18 books that you've um, written or contributed to, um, which, which one has been the, uh, the, the bestseller, the, the one that got the most attention, the one that, that kind of like uh, got you the biggest opportunities? Uh, the, well, there's, there's three. Um, of course, the orgasm prescription for women. I mean, with a title like that and knowing that millions of women around the world are not Achieving the Big O, that was a huge one. It's a great conversation starter. Um, even at Expert Empires, there were men lining up to buy the book. Um, <laughs> I, the other one is the top 10 traits of highly resilient people, which we published at Make Your Mark Global in January of 2020. So I had been studying and documenting research on resilience from my medical practice, working with people with addictions and eating disorders. And so when we published that book, we had no idea there was a pandemic coming. But that book has led me and many of the authors who contributed stories in it to get keynotes, to get workshops, to get um, talks. And and so that one's been, we, we have several bestsellers actually, but that one has been a real opportunity maker simply because billions of people around the planet were now like, okay, what is resilience and how do I build it? Yeah. And I think the the third most popular is probably this one, the Real Self-Love Handbook. Uh, I'm looking at some of the others, but um, yeah, I think self-love uh, has also been a, a bestseller because so many people are like, they've seen my TED talk and they're like, okay, I need to love myself. Like, how do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how do I know who I really am and how do I love myself? So that book has, been, has served me really well. It, it led to my, my first TED Talk, and that TED Talk led to me meeting one of my first investors in one of my other companies. Hello, Hi. Trevor. Thank you very much. So, and, and that I do, I do share a lot of my personal story in that book and in my TED Talks. So it, it comes back around to full circle to publishing and storytelling. What makes for a great book title? There's a lot of debate about that. Um, in my team, we we do one of two things. We either want it to be so clear that it's this expression I learned from you, Brits. You know, it says on the tin what's in the tin or what, what, what's in the tin what is on the tin. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Exactly. So sometimes you want it to be super descriptive so that someone who's doing a Google search or an Amazon search is going to find exactly what they need. But coming from the background of media, I also want a sensational title that's going to stop people in their tracks. And you can always use the subtitle to make sure that you're feeding it with the right keywords and descriptions so that people would find it. But those are the two things, either, you know, having a great title that stops people in their tracks and makes them say, wait, what? or being really descriptive, so. Yeah, and for, for the listeners um, that have already written a book, because, like, if you've already written the book and you've already got a title, there's not really much you can do about that now. Um, what would be your top tips for gaining exposure um, and driving book sales? Like, how would you 
go about doing that for an existing, already published book? Well, if it's something that you've self-published, you can always do a second edition and make it a better title. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually something I did. The Real Self-Love Handbook was first published as a book called I Love You, Me. I Love You, Me is a song that I wrote back in 2008, coming out of a very tumultuous time. And it was more of a memoir. But as people started reading that first version, they were like, God, this is finally the handbook I needed. And so when we rebranded it and named it the Real Self-Love Handbook, you know, we once again hit bestseller status and did all of that. If that, you Did that shift in title make a big difference? Like, do you think the I Love You Me title, whilst it's great and obviously meaningful to you, do you think the Real Self-Love Handbook is a better title from a marketing point of view? I do, because I think there, there are two different markets. People who want to read a memoir of someone who went through depression and anxiety and came out loving themselves. That's a, a smaller market for people. But someone who wants this step-by-step -step process on how to love yourself through a handbook with great stories told, not just my story, but other stories in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a much better title and it's, it's sold more than the first one. Of course, it's been on the market longer now. Um, so yeah, but so to get back to your question, if your existing book was maybe published by a bigger publisher or you can't do a second edition, then you can still work on your book hook. So pull out some more sexy book hooks. Like what can this book get people? How can it change their lives? How can they implement it? And if you come up with several of those and then pitch those hooks to media outlets, whether that's radio, TV, podcasters, even bloggers, go on social media and, and share. Like normally in a book, there's probably 10, 20 or 30 great takeaway points from that book. And each of those could be some sensational title, you know, either pushing on a pain point or dangling the carrot of the promise of what the book can get you. And then as an author, I would do short videos and or blog posts or even social media cards about those things that would catch people's attention. And then, of course, you always have the call to action at the end, telling people where to buy the book, giving them the links and so on. So even if it's a book that's already out there, you can absolutely capitalize on it by just coming up with better hooks. What was your first book? The Pennington Plan, Five Steps to Achieving Vibrant Health, Emotional Well-Being, and Spiritual Growth. Nice. Um, Self-published or kind of published by a company? Big, huge publisher, Penguin in, in the United States. And, wow, yeah. you went straight in big time. So <laughs> like... Because, and by the way, I think there are pros and cons to self-publish versus going to a publisher, mainstream publisher. Um, obviously, you went straight into a mainstream publisher. What, what's, uh, what advice have you got for people who are, they've not yet written the book, but maybe they're thinking about writing a book. Um, we've talked about titles and hooks and stuff, but what advice would you give to someone who's thinking of writing a book regarding self-publishing versus mainstream publishing? Like, What advice would you give there, first of all? Well, I have a, a full mini series on this called The Publishing Essentials. So visit makeyourmarkglobal.com for the longer answer. But essentially, you have to think about what is your motivation. So for most people, when they're publishing a book, they either have the motivation that they think they're going to get rich, which uh, until you reach the status of Brene Brown or Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, you're not going to get rich off the book. 
in not terms directly. Of, not directly. Not exactly. In terms of book sales or a book advance until you are a known entity. If your intention is to brand yourself, to be able to tell your story and to tell the stories of other people that you've helped, and then yes, you will be able to leverage that in keynotes, TED Talks, workshops, and make six, seven figures if you want. Then you, the next thing for you to think through is how much control do I need? Because if you're telling really personal stories, like for me, my first book with that huge publisher, it was great. I had already written a lot of the book before I got the book deal. Their editor was super sensitive to me and my needs and my desires. So I didn't get a lot of pushback, very minimal. When I published the, the orgasm prescription for women, I didn't want anyone telling me what I could or could not put in that book or how to tell my stories. I had done the research as a physician and I decided to publish it myself. So there's the, the aspect of control. And obviously if you self publish or work with a boutique publisher, like, like us at make your mark global, there's a difference in the royalty split. So self-publishing or hybrid publishing, you get more control. You also get more of the royalties and, and you can make changes like a year later, if you want to change the title, come up with a second edition, change the cover. You can do that very easily. The third thing I would have you consider is time. If you're going to go with a traditional publisher, you're going to have to spend the time to create a book proposal, which means you're going to be writing a good portion of the book, come up with a detailed marketing plan, as well as show them your social media following and other platforms of a waiting audience. And then when you get that book deal, if you get that book deal, whether it's through a literary agent who presents you to publishers or you're just sending it out, you have to count in on average two years before that book is going to hit, you know, Waterstones or what is it? WH Smith in the UK. And, and the reason that we have to think about that is because unless you're publishing something about like a pandemic that's just happening or a scandal in parliament or the elections, most publishers are going to take at least two years to bring that public, to bring that book out to the public. So if you're pressed for time, you're probably not going to want to go the traditional route because by the time you write the proposal, get the deal, get it edited and bring it out to the world, that's going to take a long time. Yeah, did you, um, you don't have to answer this, but I'm just nosy. Did you, um, did you get an advance from Penguin on the first book? Oh yeah. 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 And, and was that, before or after you kind of made your breakthrough in the media though on TV and stuff? I, I had made the breakthrough. In fact, my publisher was at home with a cold watching Oprah and he saw me on Oprah and he went to Google. And I, I remember the email that he sent me. It was like, dear Dr. Pennington, I was homesick doing something I never do, watch Oprah because it, you know, white man in America. And he said, and I saw you and you were brilliant. And I Googled you and you had no books. He's <laughs> like, would you like to talk about writing a book? And I had actually already started writing. So I talked to my, my literary agent, which I was fortunate to have at that time. And the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think getting the big advance when you haven't published a book before um, is rare. Um, but actually, it really, it's about personal brand and exposure. So you had, and we're talking, what year are we talking here when the first book was published? Uh, 2002. Yeah. So we're not talking like Instagram followers and no. you know, any of that. We're talking like the equivalent then was you're on Oprah 
you've got personal brand and attention. And of course, now which you've got a million followers on Instagram, it's kind of, it has similar value now. Um, yeah. But back then, you know, that was, I guess that was um, how people got book deals was mainstream media exposure. And now this is why I think building, um, I know we're going a bit off track here, but this is why I believe building an audience is so critical. Um, Absolutely. And, I, and when I say building an audience, I, I'm not wedded to any single platform, but you know, if you can build an audience, whether that's an email list, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Instagram or it's on LinkedIn or, or any other platform for that matter, YouTube subscribers, like that is when you go, if you want to go to a, a mainstream publisher and get an advance, they're going to, they're going to agree to work with you on the basis of your personal brand and profile and um, and of course, you know, getting mainstream media exposure even now is valuable. Yeah. Um, but the great news, you can do it your own way now through social media following. Absolutely. And every mainstream publisher today is going to look at your following because they want to know if they invest in creating this book, they want to know that there's already an audience waiting for it. Yeah. Because most mainstream publishers aren't going to do what, what, what my publisher did back then. I mean, I got a book tour, I got a ton of books for signings and all of these things. And most tradi traditional publishers aren't doing that today. So they're relying on us to bring that audience. So you absolutely need to be building your followers on all of the platforms that you enjoy being on, um, because that's, that's going to be a necessary element for getting a traditional book deal. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, using your first book in 2002 on the back of you being on Oprah, like that's a that's a bit of a one-off really. And the world's changed. And, you know, in 2002, you know, social media was in its infancy. It wasn't really a thing. And now, of course, you know, everyone, like you say, they're going to look at your following first. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is not just followers. It's like, are you having an engagement with that audience? You know, there's a lovely uh, woman from the UK, and I'm trying to remember her real name. I think it's Haley. But anyway, there's a she started on TikTok, blew up on Instagram, and I saw that she recently got a book deal. And it's the work that she does is brilliant, and it's because she built out this whole brand essence of her comedy sketches. Interesting. Yeah, I, th I think that the the issue really is that the book publishers essentially want you to sell the book yes exactly <laughs> you could make an argument which is so if you're going to sell the book anyway like what do you need them for and i think you know th there are certain exceptions where working with a mainstream publisher if the advance is good obviously that does bring you know a, a chunk of income like you say you're never going to get rich directly off a book but having a decent advance helps because it well i suppose it feels better if you're writing the book and you've already been paid, then I'm having to put this all this time and energy and effort into the book in the hope that later down the line, it's going to pay dividends for me. Um, let's talk about your TED talk. How, how, did, how did that come about? When did you do that? My first one was in 2014. I've done three of them. The most recent was in Peterborough in the UK. Um, the, the, the first one happened, you know, kind of the same law of attraction thing. <laughs> I was here in, in the south of France feeling like I wanted to start doing TV and, and speaking again. And something inside of me said, well, you need to rebrand yourself. Because when I first left America, people kind of knew me as this Dr. Andrea brand, 
not very flattering. And I sort of said to myself, well, what's the best way to brand you? And of course, I'm like a TED talk. So I actually started mapping out the story and how I was going to tell this story. And just a few weeks later, I got a call from this lovely woman, Nazanin, one of our grads at the International University of Monaco, inviting me to give a TED talk. And I was like, okay, that was fast. Um, so that was my first one. And it's, it's gotten 3 million views. And as I mentioned, it's attracted so many new followers and business deals. And I highly recommend that for people who enjoy speaking or think that you could focus yourself and at least get one out there, it can do a lot for you. Well, by the way, this is how you end up speaking at Expert Empires. So um, you'll remember one of our clients then um, recommended you. He said, you know, Dr. Andrea Pennington, she's an amazing speaker. You should check her out and have her on stage at Expert Empires. And I went, okay. And I went, Google, Dr. Yeah. Andrea Pennington, um, and YouTube showed up, TED Talk. I'm going, well, that'll give me a good idea. Bang. Three minutes in, I was like, in, I said to Derry, his name, uh, you remember, uh, and, and I went, I texted him, I went, introduce us. And I think we, we got on a, we got on a, it wouldn't have been Zoom then, would it? Skype. Um, it was Skype. Skype. We got on a Skype call. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so within, within probably an hour of me seeing the first few minutes of your TED talk, like weird, hide you speak at Expert Empires. So I think the, the value of that, um, of being a speaker on a TED talk stage, but equally on any stage. And, and what I'm hearing again and again from you is it all comes back to storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the opportunity for the TED talk, whatever, you know, you're listening to this, you're watching this, whatever you believe, you know, Andrea decided that she wanted to give a TED talk and she started mapping out the story and then who knows how <laughs> attracted this opportunity. And I'm sure you could tell a hundred stories like that. Um, but I think it all, it all starts with a story. I'm curious. Um, what was the reason for leaving the U S and moving to France? <sighs> my heart, my soul, I really feel like maybe I had some past life stuff in France that hadn't been resolved. Coming out of a, a psychedelic experience, I saw a vision of me living in France. This was back in 2005. And uh, in this vision, I was walking hand in hand with a child. And at the time I was 34 and single. I'm like, uh, okay, God, how are you gonna make that happen? <laughs> but uh, I've always felt more at home here and it's just been a magical place for me. I love how this started with being on Oprah and it's ended with psychedelic experiences. <laughs> I love whenever we talk, I have no idea where this is going to go. Um, so uh, you've already mentioned um, makeyourmarkglobal.com is a place where people can go and find out more. There's, I believe what you said, there's like a mini series there specifically around. Publishing. 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 Yeah. Um, so check that out. I'm sure there's loads of other things there that, that people would benefit from. So yeah, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go to makeyourmarkglobal.com and find out more. Yes. And especially if you want to learn the art of storytelling, like this is at the heart of everything, whether you're a speaker, you want to be an author, or just you want to be able to share stories of client success in your sales, then check out some of the resources we have there. We have a, a new course which is an introduction to storytelling using the hero's journey as a framework. 
This is what all of my authors go through, whether they come live in person to Stories with Soul or they do the online version. And it's, it's helped people write chapters in group books. And speaking of group books, I have a couple of anthologies that we're publishing in the spring of 2023. So if you have a story about resilience, about uh, holistic healing, or if you have a story about sitting with psychedelics, we're also publishing a book called Sacred Medicine, where each person gets to contribute a story. And we do all of the author training and all of the heavy lifting. So check us out, makeyourmarkglobal.com. Dr. Andrea Pennington, thank you so much. I can't believe it's taken us this long to do this and, and get you on Empire Builders. I think, um, yeah, I mean, we're we're like 100 plus episodes. I think we're at like 130 odd episodes. Wow. And we've been trying to get this booked in for so long. So I'm so pleased we uh, finally got to do it. I'm sure we'll do this again at some point in the future. And we're definitely going to get you back to Expert Empires again yeah. at some point in the future as well. Um, we get such amazing feedback from our audience um, on a couple of occasions that you've spoken before. So, um, yeah, let's make that happen as well. Um, I'd thanks, love to. Again, thanks again for your uh, your time and sharing so openly. Really appreciate you. And, um, yeah, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Be well. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.